0: Super cool radio. Hello everyone. I am Matthew Thomas. This is Super Cool Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check this out. I got a great guest with me at this time. He's a legendary musician, journalist, music executive, radio personality, and founder of THC Music and Films. Please welcome Tom Hazard.
1: Yay. Super Super Cool Radio is that much cooler right now just because I'm here. Not
0: really. Yes. I I would say it's more like this cool with oh, you being around.
1: Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful <laughs> introduction. I'm I'm kind of sort of some of those things, I guess. But yes, yes, I am guilty of charged. I am Thomas Hazard, for those of you that don't know. I'm a legendary whatever he said.
0: <laughs> well, that's what your Wikipedia page tell me. So that's what I'm rolling uh, well, with.
1: Hey, I'll, I'll roll with it too. If that's what Wikipedia says, it's got to be true. That's right. I've never seen anything
0: on Wikipedia that's just false. I've never seen that in my life.
1: Hey, you know they actually are super anal about that. Like they they're anal, man. Like I've went into you know I manage a lot of people and and yep. I, I've gone in to change stuff on people's Wikipedia pages that's wrong and they immediately change it back. It's like they're it's crazy like the amount of like the amount of attention that they pay to keeping that accurate to what they think is accurate anyway so hey wikipedia says i'm legendary i'm fucking legendary that's right i'll go with it
0: no no way around it if, if it's on the internet it has to be right
1: oh it has to be
0: so so i was kind of as i said in the intro a lot of those things is uh you know what i've said applies to you so uh, when you first started in the music industry, do you think you you know be involved in all of those aspects when you first started?
1: I mean, I was 14 years old when I started, you know. So, of course, in your head, you know, you think, yeah, I'm going to do all this big shit. And, I mean, I've ended up doing some pretty mind-blowing shit over the years, you know, that, like, where if I could go back to 15-year-old me, I'd probably do like, dude, check this out, you know. But, yeah, I mean, like, you always you know think you're going to be a huge fucking rock star and do all this crazy shit when you're a kid and some people actually do it and you know I I'm blessed to have ended up you know pretty much checking everything off my bucket list and yeah you know I I started really young man I started doing this stuff when I was 14 15 years old and I'm 47 now I think so I mean literally 30 years 30 plus years I've been doing this stuff so yeah I mean it's cool it's exciting it's I've gotten to work with every band I've ever really loved. I've gotten to do crazy, crazy, crazy shit, you know? So, yeah. So, so I guess I'm kind of dancing around your question. Yes and no. I mean, look, if you would have told me when I was 15, I'd do half the shit I did, my head probably would have exploded. But at the same time, in your braggadocious young teenage mind, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to be the biggest rock star ever, you know? So, somewhere in the middle.
0: No, I, I, I totally get it. I know when when I first started, I was like, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff. And like you're know, like ego-wise, like your ego speaks, like, yeah, I'm going to be the best at all this and everything. And, you know, for the most part, a lot of things have worked out. But like you, a lot of your ego uh, speaking, but then like when you actually start accomplishing stuff, like you look back, it's like, damn, I did all of this. That's
1: pretty tight. Yeah. And I've been doing, I mean, crazy. I mean, I've legitimately been working in the business. What's the matter? What do you want? Oh, you want another treat? Hang on, my dog needs another treat. No yeah, problem. And, and, and and you know, when you, you know, I've I've legitimately been working in the business since I was fifteen. I started as a writer and you know, and and you know, by the time I was 18, 19, I'd discovered some pretty big bands and done some pretty big shit. And you know, so yeah, I mean it's 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 fun to have a 30 year, you know, DRI say legacy to look back on and go, holy shit, man, I did a lot of stuff.
0: For sure. And like when you were first starting out, what were like some challenges you had overcome while, you know, breaking into the music industry? I
1: I mean, look, I was some broke kid from Wisconsin, man. You know, and it's like the music business. I mean, I mean, it's kind of changed a bit now after the internet. You gotta keep in mind, this is all pre-internet. This was magazines and newspapers and and it, it was kind of a kind of a good old boys' club. You know, you had to know somebody and you know, it's not like a thing where you can just walk in. And I I had some cool people who supported me and and, and really helped me out and gave me my kind of first opportunities. But it's it's a really, especially then, it was like a multi-billion dollar business. And they didn't just want, excuse me, they didn't just want anybody in it. And it wasn't a thing anybody it wasn't easy to break into you couldn't you know when you wanted to make a record then it cost you tens hundreds of thousand of dollars you couldn't just make a record in your basement and then put it on iTunes and oh look I'm a band you know there was a real process you had to go through to as an artist or as an executive you know and you had to you know climb these major label channels and and, and get in with these major label people that really don't give a shit about anybody you know what i mean so it was there's a lot of challenges and I, I think there's challenges now i think they're different i i don't know i i'd assume it's way easier now to be in the music business or just say you're in the music business because you can again you can you know everything's more attainable on a personal level than it was then then you had these big corporate machines that you know radio and mtv and record stores and it was just a a way bigger machine that you had to ingratiate yourself to and, and be a part of to really be successful and, and, and do things in the business, you
0: know? Oh, for sure. And I know, you know, there's still challenges nowadays, that, as you said, with the internet and, uh, you know, I like how you said- oh, And that,
1: now the challenge is trying to- just cut above all the bullshit because everybody and their mother has a podcast and a band and recorded a record and put it out yesterday on digital outlets and now it's just everybody thinks they can do that and there's no you know before the music business it was kind of like a bouncer at the door who wouldn't let you in you know what i mean like now basically there's no bouncer at the door and the club's so full that you know you, you can't really it's a lot harder to set yourself apart from everybody else you know
0: that, that's a great way of, that's a great analogy for describing it. And it, it is, it's so true. Like, you know, podcasts, there's, you know, you know, from, you know, for me, is hundreds and thousands of podcasts like out. So I have to figure out, like, how do I differentiate myself? How do I change things up? And, you know, it's the same for the music industry. Like, as you said, everyone has access to put their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, wherever that it, it's so hard to actually try to differentiate yourself and make yourself stand out from everything else.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody's on social media pushing their stuff and there's no, you know, basically back in the day, back in my day, you, you know, there was like eight record labels, and, you know, there was one radio station in your town and a couple big magazines, and you had to get in the door of those, period. You know what I mean? Like, there was a few indie labels, there's Metal Blade and then Roadrunner, there's a handful, but there wasn't like it is now. Everybody and their mother has a label out of their basement. You know, when I started running labels, it was Expensive to run a label. Like my first label was in the, you know, early two thousands, and you know I had distribution through E One, and you had to spend tens of thousand of dollars to buy into retail programs and buy your shit into stores, and you you had to get yourself into Best Buy and Hot Topic and Musicland and Sam Goody and Tower, and there was so much more to it now than oh, I put a record on Spotify, I'm going to do some ads on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like that's what it is now. You know, it was so you know and, and and you know, even my last label i had you know thc i started basically the first label i i was like okay i hate labels i'm done with this five years later i started another one and then i'm like okay i hate this i'm done with it and then i was prompted by someone else to get involved with another one but even that one you know i still i mean again in my eyes i still see that major label work ethic, that major label way of doing things, I still see the value in retail and traditional marketing and retail marketing and, and those sorts of things. And I, I guess my motto's has always just kind of been go big or go home, you know? So whether it's my labels, whatever it is, I try and do it at the the top level, you know, which still isn't an easy thing to do. You know, anybody can say they have a label and anybody, you know, can, do a a digital label or whatever, but to me, I've never done that. Like, I always, you know, did vinyl and physical music and, you know, CDs. And uh, again, I've always really been opposed to, you know, saying you're a label and just operating in the digital realm to me being part of the physical medium and you know pressing vinyl is fucking expensive pressing cds is fucking expensive buying into retail programs is fucking expensive you know i mean to me that's what really separates the you know men from the boys as far as you know doing a label you know or in general
0: oh for sure I again i really like how you explain that too because they're there are so many, you know, record labels that again just ex- exist on social media and stuff. Which, you know, what's what? Again, I I don't really see the point. Like, if you can't like get your physical stuff out there, or get your shirts in retail, or you know, for shows and all that stuff, then I don't think to me it doesn't seem like it's it's truly helping the artists. Yeah, I don't think. I
1: don't see what a label is bringing to the table. You know, uh, yeah. again, a lot. But, you know, if you're just. I mean, an an artist, and I think that's kind of changed the dynamic in the business a little bit too. It's like, if you're an artist and you, you know, are going to sign to a label, you know, I mean, you can put your stuff through a digital aggregator yourself. You can put your stuff through TuneCore or through whatever, you know, you don't need a label to do that. You know, if a label doesn't have some kind of physical thing to offer, some kind of marketing presence, some kind of, you know, something to offer, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get the point to signing to a label if they don't you know i I just feel like if you're going to give up you know a a big chunk of your revenues uh, you know something should be brought to the table the label should have some skin in the game too it should be you know a mutual exercise of and a mutual exchange of you know earning that percentage of an of an artist royalties you know i i just don't necessarily see what a lot and What a lot of these labels offer when they just operate purely in the digital space. I don't really necessarily get unless they have some huge marketing avenue. I I just don't get it. You know. No, for sure.
0: It seems like they're they're just focused on making themselves profits instead of you know helping the artists and building the label at the same time. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't, it seems like so much stuff, not just music, but like a lot of stuff is just in that digital realm yeah, and I, you know, it's getting away from being in the physical realm. And it just, to me, it just, it, it's very odd.
1: Yeah, no, it really is. I've watched, and I've watched it happen from the beginning. Like I kind of officially, you know, when I started out, I was a writer and I wrote for circus and some you know, some of the big rock magazines and 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 the, you know and even back then I was working with Corn and you know I I gave Corn their first feature article in Circus their first article in a big magazine that was me you know I and and you know so even then I was really finding stuff that was a little outside of the box and trying to help push the next generation of stuff and then I got more into the marketing side and I, I got really involved with lifestyle marketing and internet marketing. And I worked with Limp Biscuit and Stained and Cold and, you know, and then it just snowballed into this whole industry, you know, of, you know, street marketing and lifestyle marketing, which, you know, really kind of came from the genesis of the internet. So I've been doing this from basically the beginning of the internet until now and watching the changes and watching, you know, it kind of the paradigm shift to iTunes and people buying music digitally. And then, you know, Spotify by way of Napster. And, you know, it's been a really interesting journey to watch the digitization of the of the music business. You know, it's, you know, again, as being there since the beginning, you know, the infancy of the, I mean, literally I was on the internet when it was just BBSs and bulletin boards and you had to dial up a modem and get on a bulletin board, you know, before, even before America Online, before, you know traditional what we think of as the internet existed you know so i've really been part of that culture since the very you know genesis of it it's been real interesting to to watch the the progression
0: it it definitely changed a lot even though like i was not really around for that even though i did grow up with dial-up internet uh but even just in my lifetime just seeing how everything has really has really changed and really focusing more on the digital aspect than the more in the physical realm so it's gonna be interesting. I know they you know, they talk about the metaverse and you know uh, having buying land in the metaverse and all that stuff. So it's gonna be interesting, like what the next kind of you know five to ten years uh, in the di- you know the digital realm. What, what I know and what and it's like. On-
1: yeah, and and there's some companies doing some interesting things. I mean, I think a lot of the metaverse thing is still kind of bullshit. Nobody's really figured. Yeah. I think someday, you know, somebody will figure out. You know, but it, right now it's just. You know, I, I think somebody will figure it out. There's some really interesting companies doing some really interesting things in that space that I actually work with and, and communicate with. And, you know, but at the same time, I don't think they've really, it's just window dressing at this point. You know what I mean? Nobody's really yeah. figured out a, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of, I mean, again, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like NFTs. Like nobody's really figured out a way to make them really functional now. It's just kind of, uh, you know, it's just kind of uh yeah, they're so. I mean, again, it's just sort of window dressing now, you know. It's like, oh, we can do this, and then there's some cool VR stuff, and there's some cool yep. stuff, but I mean, if, again, there's nothing really that functional in that world or that space yet. It's all just kind of peripheral, you know, kind of like, oh, that's fun, but you know
0: for for sure i mean it's gonna be interesting where it develops but i i do agree with, with it is window dressing for right now it's really it's just like saying you have it it's just not there's no it doesn't hold anything for right now at no. least right now
1: no it really doesn't i mean i think i think i think with nfts and, and it might progress beyond being an nft but i think you know it's a space that people will start figuring out ways with incremental ownership and you know, I, I think there's interesting things there to develop and, and explore and, and yet to be unearthed as far as the distribution of music and music rights and art and, and different things. And, you know, I, I have these kind of conversations often with a lot of my friends who, you know, work in that, you know, in, in that, that arena. And, but yeah, I mean, look, right now it's just kind of like, eh, whatever, you know. It, it good, but yeah, there, I think there's some interesting stuff. Coming around the corner, I don't think you know crypto or NFTs or the, the metaverse or anything. I don't think it's dead. I don't think it's dying. I, I think it's really, really in its infancy. You know, we're basically those things now are in the dial-up internet age. They're in the Compuserve AOL age. Man, nobody really figured out what to do with them yet. You know, And I, I think that's coming. You know.
0: Oh, it definitely will, and I know just technology itself has been—you know—the cycle of like getting new technology and advances in technology has been going faster and faster. So, yeah. no, we're definitely going to see, but yes, it is—it's still in the infancy. What, like the metaverse was unveiled what a year ago, two years ago, yeah, something like that. A years ago. I mean, look, technology—technology
1: yeah. technology has come farther in the last half a century than it did the five, ten centuries before it. You know what I mean? So everything's moving along at such a at such an incredible pace. It's just like. One, you know, something, you know, that came out yesterday as obsolete today, you know, it's really kind of fucking, I mean, look at how long broadcast network TV lasted, look at how long home phones lasted, like they were invented at the turn of the century, you know, and they, you know, a hundred years before, and then cell phones came out and then in 20 years, in 20 years it progressed to, you know, where we are now, where you have every bit of information in the universe in your hand at any given second, man, you know, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, and just the size of it too. Like, it, you know, cell phones are so small, but they started out as these huge things with these huge antennas. Intelli- so oh
1: yeah, grew- I remember my first cell phone. It was hello.
0: <laughs> For sure, I remember
1: carrying around a pager, man. I don't know if you're old enough to remember beepers, but I my wrote- dad
0: had one. Yeah,
1: there you go. Exactly. I'm your dad. I rode, I <laughs> rode hard like a crack dealer with my pager. Running, and- run into a payphone to call somebody back. <gasps>
0: I did. actually I saw one the other day. I was surprised. I was like, "These still exist? That's crazy."
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I don't know if they still do or not. I don't know if they still exist functionally. I'm sure they're still around, but I don't know. If you can actually like get a pager and pager service, and That's true. Do, I don't know what the point would be. I mean, when you can like you just text. text or call, like I don't know.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> really, really nice stuff about technology. Talking about very in, de- in deep with everything. I I did want to talk about because I know um, for you, you, you you've been an A and R scout for a uh, long time as well. Like, what do you what do you look for in a band?
1: I mean, now nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I mean, at different points in time, there are different things. You know, but yeah, I worked with. You know, I helped Papa Roach get their deal. You know, I actually so I did A for Jive. And I tried to sign a bunch of bands, you know, really early on. That Jive passed on, you know, Papa Roach, and I knew the of Park guys really on. I brought Jive, Non Point. I mean, I brought them a bunch of bands that I, you know, turned out to be really huge bands, and they passed on them, I and you know, and then I, you know, found Chimera when they were really in their infancy, and brought them to Roadrunner, and then. uh Uh, you know, and and a a bunch of bands. I mean, there's a bunch of bands I got signed directly, a bunch of bands I was indirectly. You know, Papa Roach, I set up their showcase in LA that they, after Jive passed, I set up their showcase in LA that they got signed off of, you know, and I was there the night they basically got signed to DreamWorks and helped bring the guy there that signed them, you know, and, you know, same with you know, Kamira and Switched and Depswa, who, you know, got signed to Geffen. And so, I mean, like, it was, you know, at different periods, it's different things when I was just kind of managing and trying to find deals. I, 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 there's certain intangibles that just bands had, and you could see it and know it. I mean, obviously, it's talent. But at the time, I mean, look, the look was important and fitting into what – you had to know what labels were signing and what fit into that. And sometimes you can break the mold and bring them like, – like, for instance, Chimera. Roadrunner did not – everybody at Roadrunner wanted to sign Chimera, but the guy who actually ended up signing them, who's a dear friend of mine for decades, didn't want to sign them. He was not into it. it took me two and a half years to break him down. And everybody else from Dino from Beer Factory and Stefan from the Deftones and all these uh, – Jack Osborne – all these other guys were hitting him up going, you have to sign this band. And he just didn't get it, you know? And finally one day he either got it or bowed to the peer pressure and he signed them. So I mean, sometimes, you know, it it was just stuff that easily kind of fit in the mold of what was going on. Hi, baby. At that time. And other times it was stuff that I knew was really good and, and broke the mold a little bit. But I knew in my heart that it would be, you know, it had the potential to be something bigger and beyond what was going on. And and look now, in the more independent age, you know, I, I look more for bands that, you know, have a good work ethic, that go out and tour a lot, that play a lot, that have their own social media presence. And, and in fairness, I'm not doing a lot of A and R now. I'm actually doing kind of different things. So, but but yeah, I mean, look, in the independent era. It kind of shuffled, and then it was bands who had a good social media presence and who could tour and could do things. And uh, bands need to understand going into label deals now that it's not like it used to be. You know, when I was first doing major label deals, we were getting hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar deals, $1 million dollar deals, two million dollar deals. You know, I, I helped Adema get signed; they got like a three million dollar deal. You know, it's you know it's changed a lot now now that shit doesn't really exist anymore now you're just doing it solely you basically got to go into it going you're going to spend your own money to be in a band and if you can partner with the label and they bring something to the table they will but it's generally not going to be money you know it's going to be marketing experience and expertise and you know it's just a different it's a totally different world now it's a totally different dynamic you know as an artist and as you know a label as you know any any position of this business it's a totally different dynamic than it was and this is a totally different conversation than we would have had 15 20 years ago you know
0: oh for sure i know it, it again as we we're talking about with marketing and technology it's changed so much even in you know recently and as you said with the independent era that a lot of stuff as we talked about you know bands can do themselves um you know you know unless it's uh, such a great deal but even that is rare you know very rare to come by and I know yeah. I've heard a lot of uh not so great stories of bands you know signing to labels and regretting it so I mean there there's a lot to consider like you know for bands and signing labels
1: there there is and honestly a lot of labels now too do like artist services things where they charge the bands and look I'm not against that model I've done it I do it But I'm a guy with 30 years of experience and a ton of connections. And, you know, that's what I've always sort of done for the last 30 years. You know, bands would hire me to, you know, do management consulting or marketing consulting or publicity. or They'd hire me to do something or a lot of guys would hire me. A lot of people who wanted to start a label would hire me. And I would put together their label for them and get it started and help them find artists and get the all of the the pipeline set up for retail and everything else. And so I, I'm not opposed to people getting paid for their work or artists paying a label. It, 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 and, and, and it goes into more of the realm of a partnership then. But some labels do it and and give the whole thing a bad name because they do it and they don't do shit. You know, they a band will give a label a ton of money. They'll kind of, you know... Stroke them off for a couple months, and and that's and that's it. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, it, it's something to definitely be wary of. Again, if it's, you know, look, my my history is pretty easy to verify, and you know, it's all pretty well documented. You know, but you know, just just be careful what you get into and what you do, and and who you do it with. You know, I mean, that's the best advice I can ever give to a band. You know, that's it's just it's it's a different world for sure.
0: Oh, definitely. And obviously reading, uh, you know, everything, you know, the contract, all the stuff, getting writing is very important. And I'm not saying like for all labels, but just some of the bands who I've interviewed have, you know, said for particular labels, but for you, I think it's a little bit different because you're bringing, you're you're bringing so much experience, connections and everything that it's, you know, it's a little bit different, um, you know, working with you compared to like uh, a whole label.
1: Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, and for all intents and purposes, I kind of am a whole label, you know, when I ran the label for the most yep. part. I, I ran, even the last, ask, the last labels I ran, you know, I had a partner whose name was on the label that it was his label. It was our label, but I did all the work, you know. I mean, literally, I did, you know, and, and I had some artists and a publicist who would help with some stuff and an amazing artist who did a lot of the graphic design stuff and but a majority 90 percent of the work i carried on my shoulders retail marketing AR, dealing with the bands i signed all the bands i got all the deals all of the you know distribution deals all of that stuff i dealt with all of that you know so i mean again i you know you know, I always when I've had my labels, you know, corporate punishment. I had a partner who was great, and he was more a partner partner on the financial side. THC was always sort of me when it started. I I had a partner with another distribution deal through Sony, and, and had a little funding that way. And but yeah, the last label uh, again, even though it wasn't technically mine, which is funny. Like you know, it was I ran it. I all the, I wrote all the contracts. I signed all the bands except for one. Literally, I'm the Two hundred records we put out. I signed every single one. I found them. I co-produced the records. I dealt with the artwork. I dealt with the retail stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I really have a lot of hats, and you know,
0: yes, you do, you yeah. Know, I,
1: I have a really big head, so a lot of them fit on there. That's so good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you've definitely been very active throughout the you know, the whole music you know music industry, multiple aspects of it too. But I, I did want to talk about, like, currently, um, do you, like, check out, like, you know, up-and-coming bands and independent bands and stuff like that? Not, no, not, not so really. much anymore.
1: I mean, uh, to be t- I, I don't listen to anything, man. Like, I listen to rap. I listen to Post Malone. Like, honestly, if a friend sends me something, somebody I like, somebody I care about and asks me to listen to it, I will. But, I know I don't really go and seek out bands. To be totally honest, I'm not a big fan of where music is right now where the music business is right now. I mean, after 25 years, I got suckered into going and being an artist just because of that reason, you know, and and put out a couple records and did some great stuff. Now I've been, I I did some stuff with Chris Poland, the original guitar player from Megadeth. That's going to come out eventually. I've been working on some stuff, writing some stuff with uh, Kevin Wood from Malfunction, Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bones Brother, and uh you know, it's a again, I, I, I do, you know, wear my artist hat a little bit, and I, I've always been a singer, but I don't even know what the question was. I'm rambling. Sorry, I totally no. lost track of the question. I, no, I, I, I usually I, can steer my way back to it,
0: but I was like, not, not a problem. But that does leave me, uh, I'm, I'm that does lead me to an interesting I did actually have this, Minoska. Um, I did want to ask you. So, you're talking about the current state of music. Like, I've heard from quite a few people in the music industry that like rock music, you know, and uh, metal and stuff is like. Kind of dying out a little bit. like what, no, what
1: I, I on it? You know, here's the thing. No, I, I think it's a resurgence to the level. It's almost the biggest it's ever been. but it's harder never for a new band. Uh, basically every nostalgic band, every band every rock or metal band from the 80s, 90s, 2000s is back together touring, making records. It's harder as a new artist to break through. If you were on a major label at any point in your life and had any kind of success, you can go out and milk a career out of it now. You know, even if you had one hit 40 years ago, you know, it's, so no, I think for nostalgia bands, I think for pre-existing bands that were in that major or giant mini major structure, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity, but I think as a new band, it's harder than ever because there are none of those labels. There are none of those opportunities. It's just a different game. So no, I don't, I, I think, yeah, no, major labels aren't really signing new heavy metal bands for the most part or new hard rock bands. And the ones they do sign are weird shit that's not really rock. It's like Imagine Dragons. They send Imagine Dragons and call them a fucking rock band. You know what I mean? It's, so, I, I you no, know, I think metal and rock uh, are having a resurgence like they've never seen before. But it's a totally, again, it's not like a broken record, but it's a totally different dynamic. It's these legacy bands, it's these 80s bands, 90s bands. Every, everything's kind of based around nostalgia. And I think that's part of the problem is, you know, as these bands start to die off, no, no not to be gruesome, but there's nobody behind them to take their place, you know? And I mean, there's really not, you know, a, a next generation of huge bands that are ready to take the place of these big bands as they kind of, retire or or pass away i mean look some of them are getting up there in age you know i mean the guys in you know Dave mustaine's like 65 fucking years old the guys in Metallica are in their 60s you know it's like and and, and the, the bands that came before them are even older you know i mean there, there's guys on stage literally now who are 70 80 90 fucking years old you know and they're carrying the torch still you know so it it'll be interesting to see what happens when kiss goes away and when motley Crue goes away and when you know van halen already went away we lost eddie which is horrible you know it's slowly starting to happen and it'll it'll be interesting to see where the music business evolves from there i mean there's already a next generation of ghost and 5 Finger death punch and big bands that came up behind them just in the tail end of the major label structure but after that it's kind of a void you know I mean, I don't think any of these new bands are big enough to sell at arenas or stadiums. Or you know, if you throw five hundred of them together at a festival, you can do well. But that's—it's it, going to be interesting to see how it evolves from there.
0: I, I think it's—it's going to be a very interesting point in the music industry where you know, will we do get to that point? Because I mean, obviously, you name Ghost, Five Hundred, Death Punch, and maybe a few other bands, but. I don't you know if they weren't on a label, you're very good point that they didn't get any recognition or you know, not many opportunities. Yeah. So I well see a lot of explain. these
1: bands like in this moment, Ghost Five Finger Death Punch, all these bands that these newer bands, they're not newer. They're 20 years old now. Even the newer bands, I mean, I, I worked with five figure I booked five finger death punches. I went and saw them the other night and I was thinking about it. I booked their first show. I, I, I live in, the, I'm from the Green Bay, Wisconsin area. I moved to LA and lived there for 20 some odd years. I still go back and forth. And um, But, you know, I, I booked 500 Death Punch's first show here in a tiny bar in 2007. It's 2023. I mean, all these, in this moment, you know, I had the opportunity to sign with Corporate Punishment. 20 plus years ago before they got signed you know suicide silence i had the opportunity to sign i i had the opportunity to sign five-year death punch it was presented to me i actually so ivan was in a band called ghost machine before so he quit motor grader started this band called ghost machine and uh you know i spent a shitload of money putting out the ghost machine record the day it came out, he quit and joined five figure death punch. And you know, there's this funny story. We'd done this festival in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. It was actually five figure death Punch's first show ever and motor Grater's last show at the Ivan. And the promoter did this huge festival in the middle of nowhere, a hundred people came, he lost his ass. The guy faked a heart attack to get taken out of there at the end of the night. And uh, it was just mayhem. So Ivan ended up leaving, coming back with me to St. Louis to fly home and, you know, it, it was broached to me. He played me the five-finger death punch, the original demos, and said, hey, would you be interested in maybe putting this out? And literally, what I said to him, I said, dude, this is amazing. You guys are going to find a major label that's going to sign you, a big label. They're going to spend a shill of money, and you're going to be the biggest fucking band in the world. And they are, you know what I mean? And that's legitimately exactly the verbatim, what I said to Ivan when he played me those demos. But I was, like I said, I was over it at the time. That was the tail end of corporate punishment. My distribution deal had went away. I did another one with Trustkill and, and nothing really. So basically the company that distributed my label and funded me, you know, went out of, basically went out of business, you know, and, and, and our deal sort of ended. And so I, I was kind of over it at the time, just over the label thing. And I've been doing it for a good five years and put out 100 records at the time and it, it's just you know you work your ass off 24 i mean you and this last label is no different i literally worked until i died you know what i mean and you know i worked until i fucking killed myself and you know a label especially when you kind of do it the way i do and you're a anal perfectionist and you know i i work it's a 24-hour thankless job that you basically don't get fucking paid for you know what i mean so it's you get blamed for everything you don't really get paid you take everybody's shit, and, and it, you're, when anything goes wrong, you're the one who takes the shit for it, you know? So it really is a pretty terrible, which is why I've gone through three cycles of, okay, fuck this. And then, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of like an ex-girlfriend who totally fucks you over, and then you, you know, just destroys you, but then over after a couple of years, you kind of forget, and you see him again, you start talking to him, and you can kind of be friendly, and it's kind of like that, you know? After a few years... You know you kind of forget how bad it was and you're like yeah i can do this again and then you're like oh fuck, okay you know and you remember how evil and cruel of a mistress it actually was you know so for
0: for sure, but I it, it's kind of funny because that, that applies to many aspects of life. You know, you get right. out of some and, and you go, oh, you know, you know, I I kind of missed this a little bit. You know, maybe I'll go back to it.
1: Oh man, this is exactly as worse as I thought it was. And every time, without fail, it's the same fucking thing. You know, the same fucking thing. You know what I mean? So. Oh
0: yeah. No, I, I, I was a mechanic for a while and then uh, I got out of it to, you know, kind of explore this and do my podcast more. And then, um, you know, I was like, I was working on my dad. You know, my dad asked me to work on his car. I'm like, oh, sure. You know, whatever. And I, cause I haven't done it in a while and I get back to it and I was like, man, this sucks. It's about, is about, about what it was when I last, uh, last worked on a car.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, the point of the thing is I've never had a day job. I've never had a real job. I've never, you know, never. I never, I worked on a farm, when i was 15 you know and i worked in a metal foundry for three days when i was 18 and that was not forget you know i don't want to do this and it, yep. it's always struggling it's always bullshit and you don't make money and it's horrible and but i mean again if you have an artistic pursuit and something I yeah it's funny and i did a podcast i mean i did a huge podcast you know we had post malone on you know we did these huge things and i still never made any money off it i never went oh my god i want to make you know kudos to you man i never went holy shit i want to make this you know my career and I'm good at it. That's what I do. I do interviews. I do it. And I never once said, Oh, I'm going to try and make this my career and make a living at it. No fucking thank you. You know, it's again, stuff like that. I keep as something I do for fun here and there. And, and now I'm more kind of just go and do other people's podcasts. And, you know, it, it, it's fun on both sides. It's fun to be in your seat. It's fun to be in mine. And, you know, when you're me, it kind of ends up being sort of somewhere in the middle, you know?
0: For sure, especially you know being on both both sides of it, but uh, you know since you, you had a podcast, you've interviewed many musicians. Did you have any favorites that you that you really enjoyed interviewing?
1: I mean, I just mentioned Austin. I mean, Post Malone was awesome. I, I mean, I've interviewed everybody, and everybody's always been cool. You know what I mean? I've you know I I've had I've, literally I've interviewed everybody you know i've interviewed alice cooper i've been you know who who i became friends with i've interviewed megadeth i've interviewed you know guys from nirvana i've interviewed you know i have interviewed so many people in my career and and, and they're always you know always pretty much delightful man you know i've you know I, for a while i i kind of got more into doing horror stuff like film industry stuff and i, I actually produced and directed some special feature stuff for shout factory you know, and 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 did some you know cool interviews for like I did special features for Shocker and People Under the Stairs and Army of Darkness, a bunch of kind of classic horror movies, and that stuff was really fun. But yeah, I mean, I've done radio, I've done, you know, I've interviewed everybody from porn stars to rock stars to movie stars to you know athletes, you know, and it, it, it's always been been a really fun, interesting job. And you know, one time a couple of years ago, we did this uh, fundraiser thing and. And I literally did a twenty-two hour podcast with like two hundred guests on it. Like at the end of that, I wanted to shoot myself in the fucking head, but it was amazing. It was, it every I gave Zach Wild was on it, the Twisted Sister guys. I mean, I, I can't even. It was just insane, dude. And then we did a follow up that was ten hours the next
0: weekend. <laughs> at least it was only ten hours, It wasn't twenty-two?
1: Yeah, it was a little less brutal. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. no, I, I believe it. I've had to not, not as not 22 hours worth, yeah. but I've had to do, you know, many interviews like a day or a weekend and stuff and it's cool. It's fun. But then I look back and I was like, you know, like I get done. I'm like, I am so tired from, you know, from doing it all Cause you have to stay, you know, energetic, excited. You have to, you know, come up with the questions, hey, continue to conversation. Exactly, exactly. There's so much that you have know, to, I've talked to people who wanted to do interviews and podcasting and you know, they, they don't see how much actually like Actually, is involved with it. They just think you show up and talk to people, and sometimes you know, sometimes it does happen, but it's it, r- at least rare well, for well, me. you, you, know, you have to show idiot.
1: up and talk to people and not look like an idiot and be engaging and keep the conversation. Unless you know, you get you know, some people you do interviews and it's just a really beautiful natural dialogue, and you know, <laughs> people are well spoken. Some people are just like two word answers, and you have to keep dragging. And some people don't want to do the interview; they don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And um, I've been on all sides of that too, and. You know, you know, Peter Steele from Typo Negative was one of my favorite interviews, too, man. Peter was always – I remember I, was, I tell this story pretty often, but I was 15 years old, 16, and I wrote for a local paper, and I was doing a Typo Negative interview. It was set up the Roadrunner, and I went up knocked – and this little kid went and knocked on their bus door. Pete Steele's giant 10-foot ass answered the door, hello, what do you want? I'm like, uh, I'm here to do an interview with Peter Steele from Typo Negative. Go away and like, slammed the door in my face. It was fucking hysterical. He was like, I'm just kidding. Come in and he became a dear friend of mine. And, you know, uh, he went, yeah, that was a really fun, funny, ridiculous moment. But, you know, lots of shit like that. But again, it is. It's a really hard job doing interviews, you know, and, and especially when people don't want to do the interview and you you have to carry the interview. And, and I've been on both sides where I do interviews with people that do terrible interviews and I basically have to carry their side of the interview. You know what I mean? So it's like, I've been on both sides of that too, you know?
0: Well, for sure, I've, I've had my fair share of interviews like that too, but I could say that I'm enjoying our conversation. And we don't have to carry each other. You know, we both carry equally with the conversation so we don't have to, you know, just give short word answers. We can actually have a nice conversation
1: Oh, yeah, but yeah, I can, I, I can talk I, about anything for an hour. That's a, one of my gifts.
0: I'm I'm okay with it. But I I did want to talk about kind of talk to this a little bit before the interview uh, about puck hockey. Yeah. Um, how did how did you get involved with that? And what is puck hockey?
1: Puck hockey is a really rad lifestyle clothing company based in Detroit, Michigan. Um, you know, I met them really early on. Matt and Amy, who own the company, are super great. So when I met them, they had like. 36 crazy fists and a a couple artists and they were just kind of starting to do some branded music stuff. And, you know, I met them and, and I was like, Hey, why don't you do a line with me and with David Ellison, who I worked with at the time. And I brought them, you know, my radio station and Greg Hetson from the circle jerks and just some of these artists. And, and, and we'd started, collaborating they did a line for me and then and then i brought them snoop dog which really you know and I, and I brought them a couple other things and i started landing a couple things and I started getting bigger and bigger and then i brought them snoop dog which really kind of i think helped open the door to yeah. a lot and now now they have metallica rob zombie anthrax slayer you know i mean it, every day they announce it, motley crew i mean so but yeah they're they, you know they're friends of mine i i you know, collaborate with them on some stuff. They keep me looking good and in, in, in clothes and they're and they're delightful dear people. You know what I mean? And, and there were times where our conversations got a little heavier about me being a little more involved, but you know, paths diverge and and I was out touring for five years and you know doing rock star shit and you know so no they're great. They're a wonderful clothing company. And yeah, there's one of the one of the things I'm involved with. I also just uh Started working with uh volatile skateboards, they're an awesome skateboard company who I actually met a couple years ago when they did this for us. And so they did some skateboards for me for some of my last endeavors. And John, the owner, and I became good friends, and you know, we just talked over the years. And I was like, dude, why don't you know why don't I come work for you? Yeah, fuck music. I'm gonna come make skateboards, and so I was kind of half-joking talk, and then it just kind of happened, so now I just became the you know VP of marketing and sales, and I'm doing A&R. And you know, again, so they do a lot of collaborations with artists, like they have Dio, White Zombie, Scatterbrain, Down, Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, you know, it's a really really long list: Dark Throne, Cradle of Filth. I mean, it's a really long list, but you know, so they do a lot of really cool band collaboration decks. So again, that's sort of what I've been doing is bringing in new collaborations new things i mean in the, in the last two weeks i've brought in 10 you know what i mean so fortunately, none of them we can really announce yet i'll come back and talk to you about it when they get that way but sure. yeah they, they do warrant cinderella i mean it's this really cool combination of you know you know fishbone helmet um filter we just released a filter deck and then they do subhumans and gbh and it's really a cool company, man. It's it's really kind of diverse and all over the place. So I've been, you know, it's been fun. It's been fun to kind of step into a different world, but it's been, and I've always loved skateboarding. I love the subculture of skateboarding. I've, I, you know, don't skate. I'm old and fat, but when I was a kid, I did, and I was not very good at it. But I've always been enamored with, you know, the Bones Brigade and, and you know, the, you know, the, the, the Venice surf culture, the, the Dogtown culture. And, you know, it's just always been something that I've always loved and has always been really fascinating to me. So it's, 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 you know, you know, film skateboarding culture, pop culture, and music have always kind of been my great love. So it's cool to kind of, and I've kind of stepped into all those sides, but this, so now it's kind of fun to step into this and, you know, we're we're working on putting together a pro team and, you you know, and I've been kind of in charge of that. And, so it's fun. So we get to these cool collaborations, and I get to bring in artists, and it's really interesting because when you go to an artist, you know, not everybody's offering them skateboard deals, you know. So it's really kind of a unique thing to be able to present because usually people are pretty fucking interested because it's such a cool. I mean, you know, I just got a mountain of cool. Like, look at how cool this is, man. Like, you know, oh, I've had this hanging on my wall for like two years. You know, I've just got this myriad of, you know, skateboard decks surrounding me and. <laughs> Eventually, I'm gonna redo that wall with skateboard decks. I think so. We'll see. I'm gonna try and do some, get some up. I mean, he's sending me some more to get them up. But yeah, so it's it's, it's really a fun, fun. So yeah, I'm doing that and some music stuff. And I, I I work with an amazing cancer charity called Ink Against Cancer, and you know I've been trying to help to help them out with some stuff and helping them put together some initiatives for next year. So like I, I'm always trying to move forward and push things forward and do good things you know what i mean and in, in some some regards trying to keep the balance between trying to you know keep money in my pocket and try and keep karma on my side you know and honestly,
0: I mean, that, that's it's, it's, a, it's a great way out, a great way of, uh, you know, great outlook, great way of doing things. I mean, that
1: skateboard looked badass. So I mean, Thank you. but, but you're, you're staying big. Yeah, go, go, go check out volatileskateboards.com. I mean, all the decks are so cool and there's so many of them, man. Like, literally, we have like a hundred collaborators and we also do Temper Snowboards. We do their decks. I mean, it's, 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 it's honestly the biggest niche has been the artist collaborations which are which are so good and honestly I've been doing a lot of designing decks and and, and you know so for the past couple of weeks I've, I really kind of got stuck you know I'm a graphic designer too so I kind of got you know I, I think I've designed like 50 decks in the last two weeks like literally today all day I designed like six decks today for a couple huge collaborations that we're about to announce and You know, it's funny. I wasn't even intending to do it. It was just like, here, give me it. I'll do it. And and that's the thing with running away, where most of the things I do is it's just, I learn how to do things because nobody else can do it, and then I just know how to do it. And, you know, it, it just ends up falling in all these other weird little places that it comes in, you know, handy or appropriate, like with the skateboards. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm like here. I'll do it. We get a new new thing here. I'll do the mock-ups I have an idea, and, and I do it, and they love it. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, so it's good. It's good to know how to do a lot of different things and wear a lot of different hats. that's so you can always, you you know, you know, if, if you're, I've always sort of been a chameleon, been able to. I've had to reinvent myself twenty fucking times in my career. You know what I mean? And as much as the business changes and the people in it change and The the things in it change to stay viable and stay relevant. You have to know how to do different things and you have to, you you know, if if you don't want to be a dinosaur, you have to keep up with how things are done now. And, you know, I I like to keep a, you know, a, a good eye to the future, but also one eye, you know, to the past and just keep paying respect to where the business came from and where I came from in it, but trying to be forward thinking and progressive and, you know, push things forward.
0: Oh for sure. And honestly that you have to be you can't just rely on just like one skill set. You have to be as versatile as you can and learn different skills to apply them to different aspects. You know, even you know, music and skateboard, you know, kind of kind of related to some some degree, but not like completely. But to be able to transfer your, you know, what you learned from running a label to now designing skateboards, it, it, you have to be as versatile as possible. That way, you can keep evolving. You know, you've had a thirty-year career; you're not the same person when you first started.
1: No, I'm way older and way older and fatter, and <laughs> <laughs> I got kids now. And yeah, you yeah, you, you definitely end up in different seasons in your life and end up in different. And yeah, I mean, look, so many of my skills were, you know, I mean, again, so at the skateboard company, I'm kind of taking over the sales and and sort of the retail aspect of it and the marketing. And it's all pretty interchangeable with the music business, especially because a lot of the decks we do are music collaborations, you know what I mean? So it's really, really, you know, just right in the wheelhouse of what I do and even more so than I thought it would be, you know, there's more of these little bits and pieces of things that I do and, you know, random skill sets I have that have come in pretty damn handy, you know? But really it's it's really just about at the end of the day it's just about people and being able to deal with people and having people like you you know and trying to maintain relationships and you know
0: that that is a huge thing like especially when i first started like networking relationships these you know connections that that that's like the honestly like that's one of the biggest foundations for anything really
1: no it really is especially anything in entertainment i mean like it's all about communication trying to be a effective communicator whether it's verbal whether it's you know the written word whether it's emails whatever it is i mean being an effective communicator is literally the most important skill to have whatever business you're in honestly you know and it's always you know sort of been the, cru- the crux of what i do you know it's like yeah i can do this other shit but you know trying to just juggle you know Uh, being a juggler as well you know trying to juggle 50 things but try and maintain effective communication and and again you know just you you always get caught in weird situations and you get fucked over by things you got to be able to reinvent yourself and move on from it and i've had plenty of those situations in my life where i've gotten fucked over by situations both in and out of my control and you know i think how you deal with that and bounce back from that and what you do is kind of what you know defines who you are as a, as a person and as a an entrepreneur and a business person you know
0: oh for sure you have to i mean it, it's going to happen eventually to everybody you know you, you never know when when stuff might stuff like that might happen but i mean you just have to dust yourself off reinvent yourself and go in either a different direction or pursue the same direction but a different way i mean that that's that's all you really can do with that life's going to it's going to happen in life eventually for everybody
1: oh yeah you're going to get kicked in the nuts a whole lot if if you if not, that's not gender specific. If you have nuts, I mean, you're gonna just get kicked, just kicked, period. And then when you're down, they'll kick you some more. And then when you're getting back up, they'll kick you some more. And then if you finally get back up, they'll kick you some more. So it's those who can stay up, that you know, succeed and thrive and go forward.
0: Oh yeah, I mean that. Honestly, that's all you. That's all you can really do anymore. <laughs> but Tom, I, I, I really appreciate it hanging out with you. Thanks so much for stopping by Cool Radio. I, as I wrap this up, so you know, twenty twenty three coming up very fast. We're at the end of December. What's kind of your plans and outlook for next year?
1: Lots of fucking skateboards. I mean, that's really it for right now. I have some music I'm going to finish. I think that stuff I did with Chris Poland is hopefully finally going to come out and see the light of day. And you know, I, again, we have probably twenty skateboard collaborations we're going to launch in the new year. And you know, I, I, again, I'll, I'll always be looking for new stuff and new artists and new collaborations. And you know, I also work with a clothing company called Devil Horn from the UK, and you know, doing some some things with them. And again, just kind of looking to see what presents itself next.
0: Right, I, 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 I really dig it. I look forward to seeing, uh, like what you come up with for next year. I look forward to seeing all those cool skateboard collaborations. I'm definitely very interested. So I look forward to all that for next year as well.
1: Definitely. If anybody want wants to find me on social media, they can T H O M H A Z A E R T Facebook, Instagram, the usual bullshit. Volatile skateboards, volatileskateboards.com, DevilhornLtd.com puck hockey p-u-c-k-h-c-k-y.com all kinds of cool shit find
0: it i I will drop some links for all things for yourself puck hockey devil's horns and volatile skateboards all that in the description of this podcast as well but tom awesome time hanging out with you thank you so much awesome man thank you so much i will talk to you soon sounds good for tom harrison i'm your host as always matthew thomas thank you so much for watching Listen to super cool radio and remember stay frosty